Welcome to the Sheila Comics Extractive Podcast. My guest uh, once again is Alexandra Redhead. Alexandra is uh, a lead tax and extractive uh, specialist with the International Institute for Sustainable Development, Economic Law and Policy Program. She oversees the Global Mining Tax Initiative within the Intergovernmental Forum on Mining, Minerals, Metals, and Sustainable Development, as well as the Institute's work on tax and investment. She also teaches mining tax policy and administration at Vilabratnik School of Government at Oxford University as part of the university's executive course on mining, oil, and gas governance. Alexandra, thank you very much for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Sheila. It's a pleasure to be back with you. That's lovely. I thought, uh, you know, we talk about commodity trading. I wanted you to help us understand, is there a link between taxation and commodity trading? There is, but I think it's important that we first start by uh, understanding what we mean by commodity training, trading. So from my perspective, when we talk about commodity trading, we're talking about simply the, the practice or the business of buying and selling minerals. Um, so the question is, is there a link between that and taxation? Uh, yes, there is, because in the first instance, tax, particularly in the country where minerals are produced, tax will influence the cost uh, of extraction and subsequently the price of minerals, which might influence supply and demand, uh, and vice versa, the price of the minerals and subsequent profitability will also impact tax systems, in particular how much countries can charge for the extraction of their minerals that then allows them to both attract investment and maximise revenues to the state. So certainly tax plays an important role in determining the cost and the price of the minerals, which has this knock-on effect in terms of supply and demand, and then back the other way in terms of working out, you know, what how much profit is available to tax and at what level can countries tax that profit and still be able to attract investors. So, so basically what you're saying is that um, on some level, Governments look at the price of commodities and the, therefore the revenue that will accrue to the mining companies, and that informs how they pack the tax. But by the same token, uh, those who price the commodities look at the cost of production, try to uh, which for some may include tax, and they try to recover that in the price. Would that be about right? I think that's a better summary than what I just provided. Yes, I think that's exactly right. There's a very clear feedback loop between the two things. Um, and whilst the price of the commodity isn't the only consideration for countries when they set their tax system, they might also look, for example, at the cost of extraction and other uh, policy objectives that they have. But certainly understanding the price and the demand for the mineral is going to be crucial to setting the system, but also managing the tax system over time. Right. So given that we know there is this knock-on effect and, and link, how in seeking to maximize uh, tax, 
uh, revenue can governments uh, leverage this uh, setup and, and this link? I think the main way in which uh, governments can leverage this link is to really understand the industry, um, both at a general level, but in relation to the specific commodities that the country produces. So it's really important to understand how each commodity is valued and priced. Um, what is the market for that commodity? What are the supply and demand dynamics in order to then determine effective taxation of that mineral? So I think that's, it, it, unfortunately, there's no kind of sort of silver bullet here, but it's really understanding the industry and how these things work to be able to then determine effective taxation. And as I said, you know, that might have, may have to change over time because obviously prices, demand, supply, all of these factors are dynamic. And, and so that's where as much as possible, ideally you would have a tax system that is progressive, that is responsive to changes um, with respect to price, but also more generally in terms of supply and demand. And um, so that then your tax system changes automatically over time based on those, you know, in response to those changing conditions, rather than the government having to each time legislate new royalty rates, new tax rates, and so on. So I think understanding the industry um, and the dynamics related to pricing of that particular particular commodity is going to be very important, but then also thinking about how your tax system can be responsive to those factors over time is, is going to be really significant, especially in the current context where we have increasing demand for certain uh, critical minerals or energy transition minerals, where we see quite volatile prices, significant fluctuations in price, and um, also quite significant changes in terms of supply and demand. And so having a system that's going to be responsive to that is going to be very, very important for countries to be able to really leverage off the demand for those minerals going forward. So, you know, um... Alexander, you've just put your foot in it. So um, you and I have been in the mining uh, policy space, understand that on one level we talk about an industry, which, which we simplistically call the mining industry. But you also know that when you get to the specifics, including commodity deals, there is no such thing. There is the iron ore industry, there's the gold industry, there's the diamond industry, there's the coal industry, etc. And and yet many countries have a law that is universal. They'll have a mineral taxation law. Maybe they may vary uh, royalty here and there. So how what does that tell us then? The fact that governments do not have laws that target specific commodities from, say, a taxation perspective, what does that tell us about the lack of efficiency of these laws, uh, Alex? That's a very interesting question. Um, does it, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good point that we haven't, in the mining industry, um, I mean, we're talking, it, it's incredibly heterogeneous. We're talking about a huge range of different minerals, um, of, of different quality types of at different stages of beneficiation as well. And so it's an incredibly complicated sector to manage generally, as well as from a tax perspective. Uh, and I think, you know, one, there are different questions here because on the one hand, you might say, well, 
you know, it might be important to, if you're going to understand how iron ore is priced and so on, then it makes sense to determine, well, what should your overall government take be from iron ore relative to perhaps copper, given the different, you know, price dynamics, market conditions, cost profiles of those operations. So ideally you would have um, a different goal perhaps for each of those minerals that would allow you to more accurately achieve an appropriate trade-off between maximizing government revenues and attracting investment. But I, the flip side of that is that then that, of course, creates additional administrative complexity, which can be hard for countries, can potentially be hard for countries to manage, which is why I think we have tended to see countries go down the path of applying a universal system, as you say, and maybe differentiating a little bit on royalty rate um, because it just it, it's a bit simpler to manage. Um, but I do think that there is potentially an argument for countries to revisit that in light of the growing demand for certain mineral products. So it may be that, you know, if you're a copper producing country, copper is in such high demand now as part of the energy transition that you may well think it's a good opportunity to review your tax system and come up with something that is more bespoke and targeted to copper or cobalt or nickel, for example, relative to some of the other minerals that you produce. So you might think that, you know, this is now, now countries have added impetus, I guess, to, to think about that, but also to think about different models of taxation or financial benefit sharing, because it may be that we're in an era where countries have certain projects that are more strategic than they were once were, or relative to other mining projects where you might actually want to think about entirely different systems of taxation or financial benefit sharing systems because of the demand for that particular commodity and the opportunity that presents for the country. So again, acknowledging that all of this creates additional complexity. So it's a question of, well, you know, are we, do we feel like our regime does a good enough job, even if it's not perfect, um, relative to kind of the, the challenges that might come up by trying to design more bespoke targeted regimes. But I think it's a very interesting question and one that lots of countries are starting to engage with because of the demand for particular commodities. So it's not that you necessarily want to have a differentiated approach to all minerals, but perhaps minerals that are more strategic, that are in higher demand, there might be value in having that conversation. And certainly some countries are doing that already in relation to things like copper and cobalt. Yes. Yeah. I guess the, the point here is that with every law, with every tax law, with every you know, tax instrument, uh, governments then have to invest in the necessary skills and systems to implement that. And so there's a return on investment consideration here in terms of whether or not it is worth investing in different systems for different minerals and whether or not in the end the, the investment in public uh, expenditure and skills and institutions justified. So I, I, I did want to ask you, when you think of uh, tax as issues and, and specific tax and commodity trade-related challenges, apart from what we have just spoken about, what comes to mind? What are some of the things that you think challenge uh, policymakers and, and tax administrators? I think that the main challenges for policymakers in particular is, as you identified, um, is the uh, these trade-offs uh, between different objectives. So on the one hand, 
You've got uh, the objective of trying to, you know, maximise revenues to the state in light of these being uh, non-renewable resources, often publicly owned. But then you've also got the uh, objective of trying to attract investment, maintaining investment. Uh, and then there's all the, also the question, as you pointed out, around administration and simplicity. And I think that's actually an objective or a consideration that probably doesn't receive enough attention um, because and, and sometimes we then end up with systems that are more complicated uh, than we would like and they end up being difficult for countries to administer but also easier sometimes for companies to then avoid. So one of the topics that I work on a lot particularly with administrators, is how to identify and evaluate various um, profit-shifting risks. So that is where companies will reduce their taxable income in the country where the resource is produced and then shift that profit offshore, often to a low-tax country. So this is a, a, a major challenge, not just in the mining sector, but more generally in tax administration. And I think there's an issue there around making sure you have the right expertise and access to information but it also comes back to the policy settings of making sure that when you design your system, you're not necessarily trying to, you know, adopt the gold standard on mining taxation, um, but rather adopt a system that's going to work for the country context and the capacity uh, that that country has um, to administer that system. So I think these are, you know, these are some of the challenges that. Uh, policymakers and then subsequently administrators face when looking at how to design a tax system for the resource sector. It's not unique to mining, but these are some of the the, the trade-offs that they have to navigate. Um, and the stakes are quite high because the revenue potential from mining is significant, more so now more so than ever, um, and also because these are publicly owned resources. And so the government has a responsibility to the public to manage them uh, carefully uh, and with a, with an eye to future generations as well. So it's a very challenging space in which to be a policymaker. There's a lot of competing considerations and trade-offs. Uh, and, and then on top of that, you're talking about an industry that's very long-term. Uh, and we see you know, there's a lot of changes in prices and costs and technologies. So all of that combined makes it um, quite a difficult area to regulate. Yeah, it's um, it's funny you 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 said that because you you spoke earlier about shifting uh, revenue so that companies pay tax where they deem uh, the jurisdictions to be more, if you wish, tax friendly. Um, and 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 of course, in commodity trading, we know that we have uh, centers that have built uh, industries around commodity trading. And I, I wanted to get a sense from you of how, uh, if at all, in what way do these global centers of mineral commodity trading influence tax revenue flows? Yes, well, I think the first thing to say here is that there is a big mismatch between where minerals are produced and where customers and buyers are located. And so because of that mismatch, uh, we then have these kind of global centers of commodity trading that have emerged and that are there uh, and the, the actors that are located there are there in part to help facilitate, you know, the trade of minerals between producing countries and and customer end customers. Um, but what that means in terms of revenue flows, I think it means two things at least. Um, the first is that 
it leads to often in not all cases, but often um, the export of unfinished products. So because the customers are located elsewhere, often companies will export raw or unfinished materials to another location where there might be some processing uh, and then on to the customer. And so what that means for some countries is that they uh, capture less of the value from their resources. So what they're taxing is the value of the raw product as opposed to the finished product, which might be higher value. Um, of course, that's not true for all countries. Some countries have very strict rules around processing taking place onshore. You know, they use things like export taxes or other fiscal instruments to try and uh, essentially create a cost to the investor um, for exporting unfinished products. But I think that's the first thing. Um, and then the second thing is that a lot of these commodity trading centers um, have been set up in places that are tax friendly, as you say. Uh, and there might be other independent reasons for why these trading centers are located there. For example, uh, proximity to markets. So, um, you know, close to Asian markets or, you know, European markets. Uh, there might also be shipping logistics facilities that have been established there. But what that means is that you have these cross-border transactions taking place, um, which can often mean that, uh, as I said uh, earlier, the company that's producing the mineral in the resource-rich country, country, for example, they might sell that mineral to a related party that's located in one of these commodity trading centers. They sell it at below market price, which means they record less profit in the country, in the resource-rich country, and pay less tax there. And instead, when they on-sell that product to a third party, an end customer, at full value, then that profit margin, if you like, accrues in the country where that commodity uh, center is located. And often it will be tax-friendly, which means lower tax rates, which means reducing your global tax bill. So it does have a very material impact on how much money the resource-rich country collect at the end of the day from the sale of their minerals because the customers are elsewhere and you have these cross-border transactions taking place, often with an entity located in these commodity trading centers, which uh, happen to be in lower tax countries. As I said, there might be independent reasons outside of tax for locating there, but it's certainly a benefit to investors um, that they will exploit. And that does have an impact on how much flows back to the resource-rich country. Yeah. I mean, um, it, 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 it's probably simplistic. Um, so I should ask, if we know this, why not have the commodity trading centers in the resource-rich countries so that that incremental uh, value uh, can also result in higher tax revenue in the same countries? It's a good question. I think, though, it comes down to, again, what we've already spoken about, which is the trade-offs, because it's not so easy to locate commodity trading centers in resource-rich countries, depending on, you know, the country where it's located, access to markets, um, other supporting conditions that might be required, like, you know, um, yeah, various kind of supporting frameworks that might not necessarily be available for that. So I think 
and there there's also a question is kind of what's the impact on investors and will investors still want to um, bring their business there or not so I don't know the answer to these questions I mean I think some countries have uh, more successfully than others established trading centers um, I, I do see an increase in countries looking to at least establish their own um, stock exchanges which is interesting and I think that's partly driven by a desire for greater price transparency to try and make sure that the price that um, is being used for the purpose of uh, calculating tax is actually a market price rather than just a price that's um, you know achieved with a related party. But I think the ca the challenge again with that is the countries that I've seen that have started to explore this is do they have the volume uh, of both you know in terms of production but also in terms of producers and buyers to be able to actually establish a proper commodity, a well-functioning commodity exchange that um, isn't just going to be at you know at risk of collusion and corruption and so on. So it is a challenge, and I, I probably I would say that if we're looking at it purely from a tax point of view, there might be other ways to address the concerns around the um, potential revenue leakage caused by these trading centres uh, outside of actually trying to bring that trading centre onshore. So, for example, you could put in place various rules around. Um, the price that's to be used for the purpose of ca um, calculating taxes to try and deal with that risk of underpricing. You know, some countries have put in place rules to try and increase the level of processing onshore. So again, these are all kind of delicate dances that need to be done and considerations around what's feasible in that country and based on the level of, of investment. But I think that there might be some other ways of exploring the impact on revenue flows that I would want to exhaust first before necessarily uh, looking to commodity trading centres coming onshore as a solution. That might be a policy objective independent of the tax concerns, but I think yeah, it, it, it presents a number of challenges and it, there might be some other pathways that are more um, Im immediate. Yeah. The, the, of course, the one of the, the um, realities of commodity trading uh, is that um, unlike, you know, resource-rich countries, the commodity trading centers draw resources and, and supply of minerals from all over the world. And so they have, if you wish, economies of scale and, and they build uh, expertise around this and are able to shop around, offer better prices to their clients. Wherein, if you are a country trying to create a center, effectively, uh, you are competing with uh, not only the commodity centers, but all the countries. And so the idea that you might have commodity trading center in every country is, is counterintuitive uh, because, you know, then you would lose those economies of scale. But, uh, and, and so I, I think... It's, it's, it's probably better understood from a value chain perspective uh, rather than a taxation perspective because uh, as you yourself know as an Australian, that Australia sends its iron ore to China and Japan not because they don't have the facilities but because, to your point, that's nearer the market and there are certain efficiencies uh, that have been built over the years to process. And I think perhaps more than maximizing tax, this is the real challenge uh, facing countries that seek 
uh, perhaps to create uh, commodity centers. Am, am I right, uh, Alexander? I think that's exactly right. Uh, the point about this economies of scale is spot on. I do think that maybe there is more opportunity for countries to explore this option in collaboration at the regional level. I mean, I know if we just talk about kind of processing, that's long been a goal of the African mining vision and some countries have gone further than others on that. But I think, um, and we're starting to see some regional collaboration emerging there as well, which is exciting. But I, I think that there's more potential at the regional level, but even then there's still a number of challenges to be overcome, namely, you know, proximity to markets, as you say. And um, so I, I think that, yeah, there's a lot more going on other than just the tax issues. And if it's revenue flows that you're concerned about, then I think there might be other ways. There certainly are other ways to address that aside from um, setting up a, a commodity exchange or trading center. Sure. I mean, if, if you, you, you did mention that countries may uh, profit uh, from the current uh, energy transition uh, price growth, are you seeing any countries responding and being quick off the mark? I remember the early 2000s during the boom, uh, governments were a, a bit slow. By the time they came up with interventions to benefit, the market were really, the markets were really on a downturn. Are we seeing any uh, very quick of the market and timely response to benefit from a taxation perspective, to benefit from uh, the critical mineral demand uh, surge? I think that we are seeing, so I think probably overall, I would say countries are still, um, for the most part, countries are still working out what this new demand means for them and how best to position themselves. Uh, I think they need to appreciate that in, for some of these minerals, the demand is, is very much time bound. And as you say, unless they move quickly, they may miss the opportunity. On the other hand, I, I would always caution countries not to kind of race into drastic kind of fiscal policy changes um, without, of course, understanding the industry and where things are headed, because then you might risk, um, you know, deterring investment, you might risk, uh, you, you might speed up the pace at which certain um, manufacturers and others are looking to replace or substitute particular mineral products because of the high tax costs. So it's important to be very much alert and to be informing oneself about the changes and how to position, but also not to make kind of knee-jerk changes. Having said that, I think there are certain countries that are moving quickly. Um, for example, in Latin America, not surprisingly, we're seeing quite a growth in the number of state-owned enterprises that are being expressly established uh, for lithium. So for example, Chile announced um, a state-owned enterprise for lithium, similar to Cadelco for copper. Um, Peru has done the same, I think, and Mexico has done the same. So we're seeing a, a growth in state-owned companies with a particular focus on lithium because of the role that that will play, it is playing in the energy transition. We're also seeing more countries start to move towards variable rate royalties. So that is where the royalty rate varies uh, based on the price of the mineral. And I think that's to account for, as I mentioned, the price volatility uh, for a number of critical minerals. So 
um, in order to capture the upside of high mineral prices, countries want to put in place these variable rate royalties, which means that basically the government's share of the proceeds from the project will increase as prices go up and vice versa as prices come down. So those sorts of more progressive measures that I think are trying to mirror the kind of volatility that we see in the, in prices for critical minerals. Uh, and then the last one I think is there's, a, there's a, again a re-emergence of this narrative around value addition, processing, local content, and what are the fiscal measures that countries can explore to try and bring more of those activities onshore. So I think we've seen over the last few years a growth in the use of export taxes um, on unrefined products, for example, with countries trying to yeah, keep more of the processing onshore because they appreciate the value of these minerals, these critical minerals, um, and also the potential kind of downstream opportunities, industrial linkages. So for example, you know, DRC and the Z and Zambia having formed this partnership now to set up a battery manufacturing plant to pool their collective wealth of cobalt and copper to try and um, be part of the energy transition in a, in a more uh, meaningful way beyond just supplying raw materials. So countries are moving. Um, whether those are the right choices is hard to say without, you know, understanding the context um, in each case. But um, we are seeing movements. And But I think overall, my message would be that actually countries need to pay even more attention than they are already. Because I do worry that, as you say, you know, policy change, reform can take time and countries may, may miss out. Mm. So, um, I mean, what is very clear is that... Um, there are a lot of moving parts uh, and in the value chain and, and that on the one hand, you have what happens in the resource-rich countries. You then have what happens in the commodity trading centers and then what happens in the metal producing centers of the world and, and that somehow the industry is healthier when the sum of the parts is greater. And so I wanted to it's a last question to say, if you think of the biggest risk that commodity centers pose and, 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 and not just the centers, but the systems of trading pose on the desire by resource-rich countries to profit from current demand, what would that be? What, what should the resource-rich countries be focused on to make sure that uh, that risk doesn't manifest and that in the end, they, they, they optimize tax, but that it is not at the expense of the health of the value chain. I think one of the biggest risks at the moment uh, is lack of transparency around the pricing of many critical minerals. Um, and that's also a function of the way the trading system is set up, which is that when it comes to critical minerals, we've seen, you know, a growth in the number of offtake agreements, but not just offtake agreements between a mine and a smelter, for example, but offtake agreements between a mine and a technology producer or a car manufacturing plant. Um, and and I understand why that is, uh, because often these end users, if you like, or these producers of batteries and vehicles, they want to be closer to supply now. They want to know what's going on. Um, but I think what that means is the level of integration is potentially increasing and there isn't for some minerals um the kind of 
volume of independent transactions taking place, which creates a lot of challenges for countries when they try to understand the mineral and how it's valued and priced and what should be reported in in their country, in the resource-rich country, and, and how taxes should be collected. So I think that that's, I'm not sure if it's the biggest risk, but I think it's one of the bigger risks for mineral countries that are trying to profit from the demand is the, the lack of price transparency, the growth of these offtake agreements, and the integration uh, that is emerging between end users and mines, which I think, you know, there might be opportunities that flow from that, but also there are certain challenges there that we haven't had to face before uh, in the sector. Fantastic. Well, uh, Alexander, that was very nice. Uh, thank you very much for your insights. I appreciate you joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Sheila.